Welcome to another edition of Focus on the Kingdom. I'm Anthony Buzzard, inviting you again to search the Scriptures with me for a few moments as we continue to investigate the Bible's basic and fundamental theme, Jesus' Gospel about the Kingdom of God. The whole story of the Bible is contained in one great overarching single theme. God's specific purpose statement is that He is going to restore peace and sanity and sound government to this world. From the very beginning when the affairs of mankind were so fatally disrupted in the Garden of Eden, when the devil took over the government of the world by convincing Adam and Eve to believe in him instead of in God, from that time on God has been engaged in what we might call Operation Kingdom. The whole unfolding drama of the Bible is a drama about the kingdom of God. Kingdom of God means that state of affairs on the earth when God is ruling in the person of his Son, the Messiah. Jesus is the agent of God. There's one God, the Father, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, the one God of the creed of Israel, and there's one Lord, Messiah. Jesus is that Son of God. He's the agent of God. He's God's spokesman, God's representative on the earth, and he's been entrusted with the great responsibility of restoring sound government, the kingdom of God. Sound and sane government will prevail across this earth when the affairs of mankind are radically and finally and ultimately altered decisively at the second coming of Jesus. Jesus is coming back to this earth. He's not just going to pay a visit to the earth and whisk people off to heaven. He's going to return to Jerusalem his feet will stand in that day on the Mount of Olives, Zechariah 14, verse 4 says. And from that time on, the world will undergo an extraordinary transformation. It will be a renewed earth that Jesus will govern. Christianity is an invitation to you to join Jesus in that forthcoming government of God. He invited his followers to possess the kingdom, to inherit the kingdom, and to enter the kingdom of God when Jesus returns. Remember in John 3, a man must be born again, Jesus said. He won't be able to see the kingdom of God. He won't be able to experience it or take part in it unless he is born again. He has, so to speak, to begin life all over again, to repent, to turn around, to get a brand new orientation on life, a new perspective, to adopt a new horizon, and to go for the gold medal, which is entrance into the kingdom of God at the return of Jesus. In Matthew 25 and verse 31, we read the following. When the Son of Man comes in his glory, escorted by all the angels, then he will take his seat on his throne of glory. And then he will say, Come, you whom my Father has blessed, take up your heritage in the kingdom prepared for you since the foundation of the world. Now that's pretty clear. It's when Jesus comes back, and sits on his throne of glory in Jerusalem, in a renewed earth, it's at that point that he invites his followers to inherit the kingdom of God, to take possession of the kingdom of God. Now, taking possession of the kingdom of God is in fact a fulfillment of the great promises made to the patriarchs of the Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible. To Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, exactly the same promise of inheriting the kingdom or the land forever were given repeatedly. In the book of Genesis, running like a golden thread through that book, we find constantly that God on oath 
promised to give to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob the land of Canaan as an everlasting possession. Let me read you Genesis 17 and verse 8, which sums up the many statements in regard to the future of the land and Abraham's inheritance of it. I will give to you, God said to Abraham, and to your seed or descendants after you, the land in which you are now a stranger, all the land of Canaan, as an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. That text is so fundamental to understanding the entirety of the biblical story that I'll read it again in another translation. The New Revised Standard Version reads, I will give to you, Abraham, and to your offspring after you, the land where you are now an alien, all the land of Canaan, for a perpetual holding, and I will be their God. Do you see that Abraham was a resident alien in the land which actually belonged to him? God, you remember, had called him out of Ur of the Chaldees. God had asked Abraham to pull up his roots, to give up those things which are very close to our hearts, our national ties, our ties with family and our circle of friends. And he was then invited to go in faith to a land which God would show him. Abraham, without hesitation, obeyed God. And he's taken then to be a model of faith for Christians. The gospel, you see, was preached ahead of time to Abraham. Galatians 3 and verse 8. Abraham is the father of the faithful, Romans 4 verse 11. And we are to walk in the steps of our father Abraham, according to Paul in Romans 4. In fact, the faith of Abraham is really the same as the Christian faith. Abraham believed what God said, and that's the essence of faith in the Bible, believing God, taking God at his word, giving credence to God's great statements and promises. The fundamental promise in the Bible is the promise of the land and the distinguished descendant. Now, that distinguished descendant of Abraham turned out to be, as we all know, the Messiah of Israel, Jesus Christ. You'll read that in Galatians 3, verse 16. And to that distinguished seed, the Messiah, was given the promise or the inheritance of the land in perpetuity. And so it's a fundamental fact of the Bible that the promised inheritance of the land or the earth, because that land is going to control the earth in the kingdom of God, that promised inheritance was given to Abraham, it was promised to Jesus, but it's promised also to you as a Christian. In Galatians 3.29, Paul said, If you belong to Christ, if you're a Christian, if you've been baptized according to the pattern in Acts 8 verse 12, upon reception, intelligent reception of the kingdom of God message, if you're a Christian, Paul said in Galatians 3.29, then you are reckoned legally as the descendants of Abraham, and you become then a beneficiary of the promise made to Abraham. And that promise made to Abraham was perpetual holding of the land of Canaan. Let me read that again in Genesis 17, verse 8, because, you see, this is your inheritance as a Christian. Did you know that God is offering you possession of the land of Canaan and a part and a share in that new government of the kingdom which will have its headquarters in Jerusalem when Jesus comes back? Now, if this sounds strange to you or fantastic, beyond the realm of possibility, I invite you to check these facts most carefully in the Bible. You see, the Bible is a legal document. It's God's constitution for the world. 
his charter for mankind, and every wise human being will want to know what the terms of that constitution are. What are the terms of God's contract and covenant made with mankind? Well, quite simply, they were given first to Abraham. Salvation, as you know, as Jesus said, is from the Jews. If you want to see where God was dealing, you must consider what God did with the Jewish nation, beginning with their father, Abraham. It was to Abraham that God made these supreme promises, and they're the promises of everlasting life, perpetual life, that is, life that can never end, and also the possession and government and inheritance of the world. Jesus called that the kingdom of God. The link between Jesus' teaching and his promise of the earth or the land and the kingdom, the link between that and Abraham, is very clearly seen as follows. To Abraham was promised the land, and Jesus, in his famous Sermon on the Mount, said this, Blessed are the meek in character, they're going to have the land as their inheritance. Matthew 5 and verse 5. You see, Jesus was simply quoting there the great covenant promise made between God and the nation of Israel through Abraham. Jesus then reaffirmed that promise by quoting the land promise and saying that only those who have developed the Christian character of meekness and the other qualities of character listed there in the Beatitudes in Matthew 5, only those will qualify for inheritance of the great land promise, which is the basis of the contract made between God and Abraham. The story of the Bible is essentially a very simple one. There's one great and grand scheme which is developed throughout the pages of Scripture from Genesis to Revelation. It has to do with ownership of this world, the government of the world. After all, the word kingdom, which was the favorite term in Jesus' teaching in the heart of his gospel, has to do with government. Now, the kingdom or government of the world comes to particular prominence in the book of Daniel. If you want to study God's great constitution, his contract between himself and the world, then study the contract made with Abraham, follow the great land promise through the books of Genesis to Deuteronomy, the law, and then notice how to David a permanent royal dynasty was promised. You see, if you have a land promised to you, you need a king to rule the land. And that contract of kingship was given to David in Second Samuel chapter 7, which builds on the great land promise made to Abraham. Now, the book of Daniel deals specially with the empire of God, the kingdom of God, which will supersede present human governments. In Daniel 2, verse 44, you'll find the astonishing statement that the God of heaven is going to set up his kingdom, and it will crush and destroy all previous kingdoms, all human governments, will have to bow before this great kingdom. In fact, they'll have to disappear to give way to that kingdom. And it's the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God. Now, the kingdom of heaven, I must tell you, does not mean a kingdom in heaven. And therefore, it's most misleading for Christians to speak of their destiny as being in heaven. No, the kingdom of God is going to be on the earth. Further information about that kingdom is given in Daniel 7. Daniel 7 provides a wonderful blueprint for the study of the Bible, for God's great plan in history. In Daniel 7, in about four or five places, we learn that the Son of Man, who is Jesus, of course, his favorite self-title, the Son of Man is going to be given a kingdom, and he's going to share it with the saints. And so in Daniel 7:27, the climactic verse of that great seventh chapter of Daniel, 
We read that the kingdom under the whole heaven, that's to say on the earth, will be given to the people of the saints, and all nations and languages and tribes are going to obey and serve them. That's the kingdom of God as Jesus and his Jewish audience would have understood it. And so when Jesus came into Galilee and announced that the kingdom of God was at hand and that people should prepare for that kingdom with all urgency, he was simply telling them that the time of God's final denouement, his intervention in the world, was on the horizon. And that's the great fact of the future to which every human being should pay attention because it has to do with our ultimate destiny. There are only two destinies set before the human race, according to the teaching of Jesus, either to be destroyed ignominiously, to be burned up in fact, to be reduced to a pile of ashes, or to gain life forever and ever, immortality. In order to understand the Bible and read it with intelligence, we must first recognize that we as human beings are mortal. We are not immortal by nature. There's no such thing as an immortal soul born within every human being. We must gain immortality. In Romans 2 verse 7, Paul spoke about those who patiently seek immortality in the life of the age to come. We must seek the kingdom of God. We must seek immortality and gain immortality in the resurrection when Jesus comes back to establish the kingdom of God on the earth. Our time is running out for today. We invite you to request from us a book entitled The Coming Kingdom of the Messiah and also a booklet entitled What Happens When You Die. Or you may like to request a tape of the program you've been listening to. We invite you to be pondering God's great plan in history and your part in it. And join us again for our continued discussion of Jesus' favorite topic, the gospel about the kingdom of God.